Moncrief on News Talk. Jonathan de Burke Butler joins us once again to bring us some stories from other parts of the world. Afternoon, Sean. Jonathan. How are you getting on? Uh, right, Finland. We're going to go to uh, first, and I suppose this is something. Uh, uh, this is an issue that's rumbled a bit here, mm. probably rumbles in all the countries that take part in the Eurovision, but it seems to have gained some considerable traction in Finland. Yeah, this is um, a story about uh, people who work in the music industry in Finland, right? So over 1,400 music professionals in the country have signed a petition urging a ban on Israel from the Eurovision, right? And this is over everything that's going on in Gaza, obviously, right? And they say that if Israel is not excluded... They want their public broadcaster, which I think is pronounced Yele, uh, to withdraw Finland's entry from the upcoming Eurovision. Um, so that's what they're looking to do. Now, Yele are in a, <clears throat> an interesting position here because when Russia invaded Ukraine back in 2022, mm. uh, they came out and they were one of the first countries to call on Russia to be banned from the Eurovision, right? And they ah. came out and they said, and the same spokesperson a man by the name of Vila Velen said that Moscow's attack was contrary to all the values that Yele and other European broadcasters represent. Now, in this instance, luckily for Yele, the European Broadcasting Union, who's, which is the organisation which, yeah. of course, runs the Eurovision, expelled um, Russia okay. from the competition. They kicked okay. them out, right? Yeah. Okay, so Yele were on the crest of a wave there. They were on the right side of history. But now that they've made that statement, obviously, these musicians are turning to them and saying, well, you know, this is a a, a bit of a contradiction. Um, so, you know, why do you not want Israel to be kicked yeah. out, right? Um, so um, the statement that came from Mr. Valen, uh, who's still in, in, in the head of Yale, said is, as gruesome as it is, it is not a war of interstate aggression like between Russia and Ukraine. Um, so therefore, we're just going to wait and see what happens. We're going to see what the Euro- European Broadcasting Union does, what they decide, and we'll uh, we'll roll with that. Yeah, that's it's not a war of interstate aggression. That's a very Jesuitical distinction uh, <laughs> uh, that that person is making there. Uh, the and, and in Iceland as well, they've, uh, um, yeah, they've made similar I, demands. Yeah, Iceland have, have done something similar, some sort of a petition there as well. But uh, I, again, I don't know what the response is from the from the broadcaster there. Now, the, you know, the public broadcasters are coming out and they're making the point. You know, that it's not a political um, competition. You know, it's not run by governments; it's run by broadcasters. Israel has been in it for fifty years. They've won it four times. Long history in it and all that kind of thing. But yeah, well, then if it's not political. Why, Why did Russia? Kick, kick Russia in it? Yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> exact question. Uh, right, Zambia. We're going to go to uh, next, and a story about cholera. Yeah, it's it's funny you, should, you you sort of say it like that, but there's about between anywhere between two million and four million cases of cholera in the world every year. Mm. Thousands of people still die from it, but there hasn't been a big outbreak of cholera in Zambia for a while. Um, but this it looks to be very bad. I'll. I'll Give you a little bit of context. Um, mm. Last week, when I looked at this story on Thursday, I think it was first or Thursday or Friday, there was seven thousand five hundred cholera cases reported nationwide since last October. Now, so you say to yourself, right, from that point in October up to January last week, that's taken quite a while to get up to seven thousand five hundred. It's gone up to nine thousand since then. Oh my word! Right, so it's really uh, it's really uh, gaining pace. And 351 people have died uh, as a result of the disease. Okay, now most of those are in the capital, Lusaka, with population about 3.4 million. 
Uh, they've had heavy rains there in Zambia over the last few weeks and months, which of course has led to contamination of drinking water and you would have quite a few slums in this capital city. And of course, that's leading to the spread of the disease, right? So mm. they're, they're really scrambling and they're really struggling, struggling to try and contain it. I mean, it's spread so far to eight of Zambia's 10 provinces. And the president there, um, Haikeenda Hisilema, has urged people to relocate from, ta- from you know, densely populated places such as the city. And he seems to be blaming... Um, uh, young men. Uh, yeah. He's basically saying that there seems to be a lot of young men that are coming to big towns and without a clear objective. And he's suggesting that they go back to the villages and towns that they come from and take up farming uh, because in these places the sanitation is better and there's better drinking water. But it seems to be one of these things, you know, okay, let's young men... Let's to blame yeah, for this and let's have a go at, Could we call them military-aged men, mean? perhaps? Uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know... Blame it on them. Yeah. Always having to have someone to blame. And of course, it deflects from the real problem, which is, of course, the slums mm. in Lusaka and haven't been catered to over yeah. the years. There's not proper sanitation. And that right. is the local government. Okay, fault. so it's sanitary. Uh, it's sanitation really. Oh, that's, yeah, that's absolutely. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as it is nearly always with, with, uh, with cholera, as far yeah. as I'm aware. But particularly in this case, like there's about, uh, there's over a thousand people being treated at the moment in a, a local football sta- stadium there. And they've delayed the opening of schools. It's exactly like COVID. Oh, God. They delayed the opening of schools until the end of uh, January. Um, they're not allowing families to go to funerals, that kind of thing anymore. Yeah. So it's really drastic measures that they're bringing in. Yeah. And, and if it's not treated, it's, you know, to make no mistake about this, it's, it can be fatal. Oh, within 24 hours, I believe, oh, it can wow. kill you yeah. fairly quickly if, if it's not treated. But it's easily treated. Yeah, that's the problem. But again, it's it's a poor country that uh, just can't deal with it. Uh, right, uh, the Maldives we're going to go to next. Uh, now they've they've delivered an ultimatum to India, and mm. maybe this might take a bit of ex- the background to this tape might take a bit of explaining. A, a, a little bit, yeah. right? So, so we'll, we'll, the Maldives obviously um, state in the middle of the Indian Ocean, made up of lots of little islands. Okay, and it got a new president in mid-November of last mm. year, a man by the name of Mohammed. Muizu. And Muizu's campaign policy was basically uh, centred on an India out message, right? So, okay. as you can imagine, Maldives, population of about half a million people, it's right beside India, uh, more or less. And it gets a lot of its food and a lot of its medicine, but also some say a lot of interference from there, right? So, they say that the Indians have undue influence on both domestic and foreign policy. And this guy basically wanted to move away from that, right? So Mm -hmm. just last week, where did he go? He went to China and he made a state visit there. He made President Xi and signed uh, an agreement to elevate the relations to what they call the Comprehensive Strategic Cooperative Partnership, which basically means probably some of the debt that the Maldives owes to China is going to be written off in return for who knows what. Yes. And the Indians aren't particularly happy about that, as you can imagine. Now, the day after the new president came back to the Maldives from China, he had his first meeting, uh, first bilateral meeting with the Indians. And at that meeting, he told them the 77 Indian troops that you have stationed on the Maldives need to be gone by the middle of March. He wants them gone by the 15th of March. Okay, why so, Why were there troops stationed there anyway? So, so, so the troops are stationed there purely t- for search and rescue operations. This, it, it, they were helping the Maldives over the years. These okay. are, they, they man helicopters. 
that basically go and, you know, pick up people if they're mm. lost in the ocean or yeah. whatever. There's no suggestion that I've seen at least of any spying or yeah, anything yeah. like that, but I'm sure there might be a little bit going on. Yeah. But, th- but there's no suggestion that I've seen as, as such. Um, but it's just that this guy had this policy, India out, he was elected in, and uh, this is where he's uh, he's uh, decided to start. Yeah, did he run on that basis? So, I mean, was this a popular platform in Maldives? Yeah, it, it was. I mean, he's gone on and he's basically said that he's he's trying to diversify where it gets its food and its healthcare from. So he wants to look elsewhere. And obviously China is, you know, in that part of the world as well. And, you know, China wouldn't be too, wouldn't have a massive problem with having better access maybe to shipping lanes and maybe making a little port for themselves like mm. they like to do uh, in various different parts of the world. Um, so uh, they've approached them about uh, improving relations and, and, and India aren't too happy. Now, it should be said about a week before they, the, the, the president went on this trip to China that three of his deputies had put out a tweet attacking Narendra Modi. And that caused uproar in in okay. India itself, yeah. and there was social media campaigns trending in India, which was basically say, okay, nobody's going there on holidays anymore. So it was, uh, you know, it was taken very badly in India, mm. uh, and it's kind of a boycott of the Maldives has come in there. Uh, and there is a general election coming up sometime soon, is there? There is a general election coming up in March of this year, and some analysts believe that what all this talk is about is to try and get his party to be the majority in Parliament, which they aren't at the moment. And I'll finish on this point, John, mm. if I may. Very interestingly, two days ago, um, the capital, Malay, which constitutes about half the population, is a very densely and very poor city. It's yeah. basically a city on an island. They voted for a new mayor, a man by the name of Adam Aziz, and he is an opposition uh, member uh, or at least he's opposed to the president. He's very pro-Indian. Okay. So it's very interesting that they decided to bring this guy back in. And as um, uh, President Muizu had previously been the mayor before running for president. So <laughs> right, it's yes. interesting, you know, it's, it seems to fluctuate quite a bit. Uh, Maldives is a fascinating place politically. Yeah, I, I bet it seems as if the politics there is dividing along the lines of pro-Indian or anti-Indian. Uh, absolutely, really. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, right, Ecuador, uh, we're going to go to next. And of course, we know that um, uh, there's been horrendous gang violence there. Um, uh, so uh, the, the, the president has challenged the gangs to be brave. I don't. I assume he's not encouraging them in a, in a kind of a supportive way. No, not, not necessarily. You're right in what you say, isn't that there's been a rise in violence over the, um, geez, over the last few years. I was looking at some statistics actually before I came in. And in 2017, the murder rate there was five per 100,000 and last year it was 46 per 100,000 and yeah. Ecuador would have been seen a good few years ago as being a relatively stable country in this part of the world but uh, international drug gangs have got hold of it and that has led to smaller gangs within e- in Ecuador fighting with each other and that's what le- has led mm. to all this violence and we've covered it a little bit yes. over the last few um, weeks and months but they've got a new president there um, and, and, and last week it seemed to really kick off on Monday um, there were rumours apparently that a well-known um, gang leader was being removed from a prison that he effectively run uh, and he was going to be brought to um, to a, a, a prison that was considered more secure. Yeah. Um, and when the authorities went to move him, he had escaped. 
Um, now, this triggered riots in other prisons across the country and several other gang leaders managed to escape as well. Seemed to galvanise the gangs. And of course, it culminated in that uh, that incident that you might have seen mm. where this gang of 18 men went on to live TV and tried to force um, the hosts to basically say that the mafia was in power and that the president can't, can't couldn't beat them. So this seems to have um, got the new president, uh, Daniel Noboa, to declare a state of emergency. And he's also gone a little bit further and, and decided to call what's going on at the moment an internal armed conflict, which is basically a state of war. Mm, and yeah. he's, he's, he's deployed troops to the streets and they have these emergency powers where they can go in, they can arrest anybody. And, and it's caused chaos so far. So over 1,100 suspects have been arrested already. Five terrorists, as they're, as they're now calling them, have been killed. Um, I don't know how many soldiers have been killed so far, if any. Um, but it seems to be a, a terrible state of affairs at the minute. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But presumably the the, the public would be supporting the, the, the essentially military moves against these gangs. Do you know what's interesting about this? Remember last week we were talking about El Salvador? Yeah, yeah. And how popular mm. the, the measures that have been taken there. If they are as successful as they have been in, in El Salvador, successful in inverted commas, mm. as they have been in El Salvador... I'm sure it will be seen as a popular move. This guy yeah. runs for the presidency again, or there are elections at least, maybe not presidency, sorry, in 18 months' time. Um, so he might be trying to yeah. impress his, 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 his voting base. Yeah. Uh, right, Italy we're going to go to uh, finally. And, uh, well, as, does, uh, the, the, the government there seems to have fallen, you know, uh, step on their own feet quite a lot. Mm-hmm. But uh, this particular minister seems to get in trouble quite a bit. Yeah, this is Vittorio Sgarbi. Uh, Vittorio Sgarbi has been a well-known art critic in Italy for for years. Mm. Uh, he used to have this program on Rai, this is about 20, 25 years ago at lunchtime, where he used to stand up and basically shout at the television about art for 25 minutes. It was quite quite amazing really? and entertaining okay. in its own weird that's way. Um, <laughs> we had Derek Davis and they had an <laughs> exactly, art critic. <laughs> absolutely. And then Thelma Mansfield, who went on to be a great artist. Uh, yeah. But anyway, um, the authorities there have launched an investigation into this character, Vittorio Scarbi, who is now a junior cult- culture minister, it should be said. They basically say that he is the owner of a picture that was stolen from a castle in Piedmont in 2013, right? Um, the reason they're, the authorities are looking into this is off the back of a probe that was, or a, a program that was done by Rai mm. um, uh, that basically said that a, a character that he knew had turned up at this castle about a week before the painting went missing, inquiring about purchasing it. And then all of a sudden it went missing. It turned up in 2021 at uh, an exhibition that Vittorio Scarbi was curating. But he said, oh, no, this isn't the picture that was stolen because the picture that was stolen wasn't actually the original picture at all. I found the original picture when my mother bought uh, a villa, an abandoned villa in Viterbo in 2000. And this is what I displayed in Luca in 2021. Now, so there's two versions of the story. Whoa, okay, okay. That's, a, uh, that's, that's a Netflix series it, there. It, there yeah. sure is. Uh, but anyway, whatever the truth of it is, it's enough for the opposition to kind of jump on the bandwagon and call for the resignation of, of this particular minister. Yeah, uh, and that's off the back. Was it a New Year's party where somebody got shot in the backside or something? I, I, don't, yeah. know if, I don't know if anybody got shot in the backside, but maybe they did. I didn't hear that part of it, but certainly there was um, a New Year's party where uh, a politician from Georgia Maloney's um, Brothers of Italy party 
had a gun that he shouldn't have had and it went off accidentally at this. Maybe they got shot in the backside, I don't know. But it well, might be a godsend. Or, or the this, or it could be, <laughs> indeed. It might be a godsend for her that this uh, junior culture minister is, is in the firing line now because it can take away from the, the guy who shot the gun or whatever. But it remains to be seen. But that's the, that's the joy of Italian politics. It's never dull. Indeed. Right, so what should we look out for this week uh, coming? Thanks, Sean. Uh, it's, uh, Davos kicks off uh, for the week today. Um, so that's happening there uh, mm. tomorrow EU inflation figures will be published and then Thursday uh, it might be controversial to say this but in Northern Ireland uh, I suppose that qualifies as foreign news just about <laughs> there's a massive strike in the north uh, about 150,000 people are expected out on the streets and that's the same day as we celebrate Winnie the Pooh would you believe indeed those two facts aren't connected I Not assume really. uh, right <laughs> Jonathan thanks a million thanks, ever. Jonathan DeBarca Butler there Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.